Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Let's do it. Real fast. Excited, right? There was a loss, supposed to be down and kicking rocks and all that kind of thing. Now we're back with the real thing, the Patriots podcast. And you know why I'm excited? Because losing is not the end of the world in September. And I, um, we're here to do a great show. We're here to give some insight to what really happened in the game. This is really why the why the real thing podcast exists. And uh, I'm fired up to be here to, to roll through the the good, the bad, and the ugly from uh, the game against the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's really what we exist for, to, to give you the unfiltered, professionalized view um, and and then to look forward. And we've got a really exciting guest this week, Deuce McAllister, former first-round pick, running back with the Saints, guy that does media for that team, gets to see him up close and personal, a lot like I do here. Uh, he's going to be on the show later, and uh, he's going to give us some tremendous insight, insight to what sort of lies ahead uh, with this new matchup. So uh, we're really fired up to have him on, but much like we had Mike DeVito a week ago, I, I, just to, to look back for a second, some of the stuff, a lot of the stuff that Mike said, really came to fruition in that game. And I think that's why these segments are going to be fun to do throughout the year. I'll do my best to find contacts with which each which each of the respective teams for, for, for uh, opponents coming up for the Patriots. Uh, because I thought some of the stuff that Mike, Mike said really – really bore itself out in the game. And I think that's what this is for, uh, a bird's-eye view, not bird, more of a worm, I guess, on the ground, uh, from someone who knows a lot of those people really well and can talk matchups. And, and the, the stuff he said about D Ford and D Ford's ability to, to get upfield if he had to, but to be a really athletic, low-matching guy, it was a really big factor in the game. Uh, D was great in that, even Justin Houston, the guys you expect to talk about for pass rushing, that wasn't really their game plan, and it was a lot like what Mike talked about. They got some rare bodies who were finally now healthy. They did a great job of preventing a lot of that low stuff, much more so in the second portion of the game when they kind of figured out what was the best approach. Patriots blew through them in the first half, uh, other than you know some missed opportunities in operate, uh, opportunity football. But he was, he was spot on with a lot of the stuff he said. So we're going to look forward to hopefully get some snippets like that from Deuce and just simply talk about that team. Cool little environment here. Where obviously, with the Patriots traveling down to one of the more unique venues in football, going down to the Superdome in New Orleans, and Brandon Cooks gets to return home. And we'll talk about all of that with him on the other side. In the on the front end, though, the stuff we got to do initially here, the stuff I know that's on a lot of people's minds, and I know we're doing a Thursday show now here. At least this will go out to you on Thursday, and I know that's a little bit late, especially since the Patriots have been done for a while, but. Uh, with the Saints playing on Monday night and, you know, needing them to have some time to go back and look at the film, I thought it was important to get Deuce on here and to add that portion in uh, before we dropped it to you. And there was no way we were able to get, going to be able to get you this out on, on Tuesday or Wednesday because Deuce wasn't available yet. So uh, it just works how it works. But uh, I think our, our, our number one goal throughout this is for each of these Real Thing po- Patriots podcasts is to make sure we have a thorough review of what you just saw and a thorough review of what's coming. And unfortunately, we may be at the <laughs> at the uh, at the mercy uh, of scheduling for throughout this year. But by and large, expect for this pod to drop around Wednesdays on a normal week, maybe Tuesday if 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 if, it, if it's possible, maybe a one o'clock game or something. But anyway, 
Moving forward, this is the stuff I know people want to talk about, and I, I, I don't like to acknowledge hot takes other than to help break them up, right, and <laughs> to put out, put out the fires. And I think one of the things that this game provided, because it was such a disappointing performance by the Patriots, uh, it, it provided a lot of the old go-tos, right, a lot of the fallbacks, a lot of the when things go bad, I got this little, you know, post-it note list of things I know people are going to say. It happens every time, you know, cover, playing for this team and then covering them for a while now for Nesson uh, in football by football. We, we, we hear the same stuff, right? And, and when things go bad and there's a completion uh, and there's a three-man rush, I can guarantee you the next day the entire conversation is going to be a pass rush. It happens every single time. And I think it really – the way games are broadcast, and I'm sensitive to this, obviously working with, with the Patriots doing their preseason games for the last few years and doing my college broadcasts with ESPN on the weekends, uh, I know how camera placement uh, can can lead fans to believe certain things, right? And I think that's a big part of it. Why do we hyper-focus on pass rush? Well, because on pass plays, the camera looks at only the line. <laughs> and then it pans to the receivers. And you generally, unless they show you a replay, never get to see all the other stuff. So every single time you, know, you come back the next morning and most uh, you know reporters and, and, and columnists and people that are doing radio shows about football, the next morning they haven't watched the coach's copy. It's, it's not feasible for them to. Uh, it's not out yet. Shoot, the NFL and this Game Pass thing, it's not. It's crazy. We, uh, you know, I'm going to be at the, uh, the mercy of that throughout this year as well, waiting, waiting, waiting for the coach's copy to drop and then actually work. <laughs> that was another, another little issue I had this week on my PC, getting my Game Pass subscription to work. But what happens, though, is in these broadcasts, you know, the broadcast cameras, it's a tight shot. You don't see the coverage. You don't see anything going on down the field unless it's a monster play, and then they'll review it for you, and then you're at the mercy of did they get the right right angle for that to, to give you the best view. But the coach shows everything. So if it, this happens a time and time and time again, uh, you know, people holding stopwatches, and, well, he didn't get out. He didn't have to release it until four seconds. That means pass rush problem. No, it does not. That is not football. When you rush three, uh, you expect a longer pocket. You expect a longer controlled pocket. What happens down the field is is that you have two extra help players. You know, two other. You know, two if you're if you're if you've been rushing five. Uh, generally, people rush four, which means you got the you can either use it as a low extra help player or a, a second safety in the deep part of the field, something like that. But the idea of three is to overload the coverage. So you've got potentially an extra low help player and an extra extra high help player. What that means is that it should there should not be a place to go with the ball early. The pocket should go long. The pass rush is expected to be longer. It's There's only three dudes, and there's five blockers, sometimes uh, a sixth with, with the six-man protection. So the ball ain't coming out quick. It's not, and that's not a fault of the pass rush. That's by design. This is how it works. Hit my head on the, on the brick wall here and try not to knock myself out. But So just understand that when – when you have a problem, and, and you show a relatively quick uh, three or four second, yeah, sometimes two, I mean, but a ball out of the hand quickly against an eight-man drop, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a coverage problem. Uh, and, and it came up a lot in, in this Chiefs game. The Chiefs game showed a lot of instances where the Patriots made coverage decisions that didn't work. It has nothing to do with the pass rush. You're not expecting to get sacks with three-man rushes. And when you don't get a sack with a three-man rush, but you get an easy completion, you don't add in a fourth guy because that thins the, the area where you already weren't covering well enough. Now, again, there are going to be quarterbacks that it's better to rush with four because you need balanced lanes, two and two, left and right of center. Uh, there's going to be situations where 
particular quarterbacks do extremely poorly against pressure, so you want to get it out quickly. So having the fifth is fine. The extended pocket, you know, it, it works against you, so you don't want to do that. But it's all by game plan. Think about the Kansas City Chiefs, some of the things that we knew going into that game. Minimal weapons, as far as people that just outright scare you that would be multiple guys that would warrant double teams. You could argue that Tyreek Hill was one. You could plausibly argue that maybe maybe Kelsey at the tight end was another. But do you really want to double the both of those guys down in, down out, and leave other people isolated? No, I don't think so, especially since we, we found out how good Kareem Hunt was in the backfield. So um, you don't want to put that guy on an island. You'd love to have an extra low-help player. But I think a lot of what came out of the game is you learned a better way to approach them. And in, and, and, and a big picture of you, it wasn't what they did, right? <laughs> they didn't adjust well and uh, really played poorly down the stretch defensively. So uh, I'm just saying this for, for people who are already sort of dipping their torches in petroleum and, and, and ready for, you know, march the streets about pass rush. Get off that. It's, it, and, and why? I mean, again, you, you can feel whatever you like, and, and I, I'm probably not going to be able to dissuade you. But the reason I say it is to sort of give you some insight into what they're actually saying in their meeting rooms. What are they actually scheming for? They understand exactly how it works. They understand exactly when it's breaking down. And by and large, as I go back and watch the entire tape, uh, broadcast and, and, and the, uh, the coach's copy, there's actually a lot of good pass rushing considering the situation. When you're only rushing three or you're rushing four against six man, that's supposed to get there. And you don't want to upfield past the quarterback rush, overly aggressive rushes too often against Alex Smith because they're a little limited offensively. Uh, you don't want him escaping. So, I mean, that's, that's a reasonable plan to go in with. I think the biggest issues that the Patriots had, and something that we've seen, unfortunately, several times in the last couple of years, and it's, it's something that we got to put out there, uh, that, that I think early season, it's not unusual for this team to have some in-and-out issues from transitioning from one receiver to the next, like if you pass it off defensively, like, you know, a, sort of the help element uh, that happens in coverage. You know, you're running a crossing route, you got to help guys, some confusion there, some gaps between when the changeover happens, little stuff like that. And, and again, I think the Patriots, you know, obviously I have bias, so people throw that at me, but this is a Patriots show. So uh, I think Matt Patricia is one of the best coaches in football. I think he's an excellent teacher. But one of the things that you understand, Coach Belichick is obviously that guy too, and he gets in real hands-on with the defense. But what comes with that is it's been a teaching defense since the beginning of time. You don't play as well in September as you do in December because it's a little bit complicated. It's very timing-based, you know, where your landmarks are and when you pass something to someone else how your sort of spatial relationships are on the field, how sort of the whole puzzle works together. And I've said this over and over again, and again, I would imagine people presume that I have this position because it's my job to work these preseason games, but they don't get a lot of preseason game work together. I think they need more, and people are freaked out about giving them work because they think they'll get injured, right? But I think one of the things that was most obvious in this last week and that, that I had some reservations about in the game is I just didn't know how they performed together because we hadn't seen them perform together a lot. And I think that worked to the Chiefs' advantage quite a bit. Uh, they had a really nice game plan late, much much less so than early. And we'll dive into that here a little bit offensively. I mean, I think the Chiefs' uh, defensive game plan didn't work in the first half. The Patriots missed their own opportunities, put it up 17-7. to uh, and it, they missed on a, on a fourth and one. They got called back after the touchdown drop, I guess. Amazing non-catch, I guess, by Rob Gronkowski. But they're not converting on fourth and one. 
uh, and then missing an opportunity later than in the half, uh, it, it easily could have been, you know, 20, 20 plus points just at halftime, right? These, they had over, let's see if I can find this stat here as I'm talking to y'all, but there, there was a point in the game where the Patriots had 200 yards of offense six minutes into the second quarter. Now, it was one of those moments where I had that bad taste that a lot of people did. I remember most the fourth quarter, right? I remember most what the Patriots' defense looked like as the thing ended. Fans shuffling out, uh, sort of a bad taste in your mouth about those terrible last couple drives they had. Defensively, how bad they were in that fourth quarter. And it tends to kind of paint the whole game. But I think that's the beauty of when you're a player. You don't watch, you don't have the feelings necessarily. You go back and nuts and bolts it. So, you know, you go on a Monday morning, Friday morning in this instance for them with a Thursday game, and you watch the film with the sound off. I mean, there's no sound. It's coach's copy. And a lot of it is, you know, the emotion and, and the disappointment is kind of out the door. And it's just play by play by play. What was good in that one? What was bad in that one? What was good in that one? What was good in that one? What was bad? What was bad? And, and it's much more technical. And I think the emotional element is gone. And I think when you look at the breadth of this game, man, there was a lot of good offense by the Patriots uh, in the first half. It more is just colored by the missed opportunities that the number could have been much bigger. But 200 yards of offense, only six minutes for the second quarter. There was a time in the game where I think a lot of people were like, oh, here we go. Patriots are going to hang it up on them. Um, and, and, you know, obviously they didn't finish. They didn't adjust well. But even into the third quarter, the offense was still clicking incredibly well. They, had, they were at 27 points, the exact same number that the Patriots put on the Chiefs defense in the divisional that won them that game, that put them in, in into the to the AFC Championship game that they eventually lost to the, the Broncos two years ago. So it's, it's easy to be disappointed, I think in part because that 27 clearly wasn't enough down the stretch when they looked poor in the last couple of series and didn't put more on the board, plus the, the missed opportunities in the fourth and ones. Uh, but held in context, this is still an offense that moved the shit out of the ball. And, and even with... With Danny Amendola, and, and again, we don't know his his head situation, but if he's back, great, because he had a tremendous game prior to the injury. And even after him, they moved it some. I just think that one thing that happened, and, and this happens a lot, unfortunately, is when you have an end game, when you have a game plan, you have like a, a way that this is going to go, the way we match up best, and you do it for three quarters, and it's working quite well for you, and an injury happens late, and it's a dissimilar piece. Danny is not like anything left on the roster, so it's not like another guy that can come out, come in and do it kind of like him. It's pretty reasonable. And it's pretty typical that you don't have a backup plan. Uh, you know, you don't have like a separate game plan, like the what if Danny gets her game plan. You just have to sort of adjust on the fly. And I think with a week of practice, yeah, you go back and say, okay, we need to get that sticks element, the run and catch guy from somewhere else. You know, we need to build that in. And, but it needs to come from a different formation because with this group now, it probably comes from your back group. In-game, you know, they're, they're the best team in the last 17 years or wherever it's been. Uh, In-game, they've had a great history of, of adjusting on the fly. They didn't this time. Uh, you know, the last couple series, Rugley, it was a lot of downfield routes, incompletion after incompletion. I thought in part, you know, a lot of the, the post-game stories, that, hey, Tom Brady slips, Tom Brady, Brady plays terribly. Look at Tom Brady relative to Alex Smith. Well, Tom Brady had all those incompletions in the second half. And we had the ugly first one where he had Dwayne Allen wide wide open in the first quarter, and that was sort of an ugly, these guys aren't on the same page kind of thing. But I think if you go further into the game, you know, sort of that mid-first quarter all the way through the third, sharp as hell. Uh, But because we're dealing with stats and box scores of crap, you you look at the big final number, 
And there were those couple series of just pressing down. Uh, Hogan and him and, and, and Brady not connecting with one another down the field. Uh, the door set one where it just looked like, hey, man, we're just tossing it up now. We're kind of out of our offense. Let's just, we've fallen behind. Let's, let's do something, uh, you know, let's throw it against a wall. Um, and that didn't work. So I think Tom's a good example of numbers polluted. People didn't watch the game closely from the outside. They're going, oh, look at completion percentage. Brady's slipping. Brady, again, had some of his best work in game that was not unlike anything we always see him do. So I think if you're a fan of this team or you're actually a concerned party of where that's going, Tom Brady is still the Tom Brady of a year ago. There's, there's been no fall off. It's, it's one game, it's bad stats at the final end that sort of pollute the, the overall number, but his performance at other points, still spot on, still the guy you know. Now, I'm going to go through here sort of my list of stuff that really jumped out at me that I think needs more shine, right? If you're trying to figure out what your team did, it's easy for the good stuff to get lost, and it's easy for the bad stuff to be misinterpreted. And I, we kind of want to do that here on the show to make sure that we go through everything that we saw and make it clear and never make excuses for the team, but also make sure that the problems are, are properly pointed to. So uh, there was a three-man rush sack by the Patriots in the second quarter at the four-minute mark, and I thought that was one of the things that jumped off for me. Uh, you know, they're talking about passers problems, depth issues at the defensive end. That's been like a common story, right? Flowers plays inside in more of the regular defense stuff. When he comes pass down time, he's the guy. He goes outside. And in some of these three-man rushes, that means he's one of your edge people. Really damn good. He's also another one of the guys that can, in a four-man, bounce outside or in. He can really play either of the two spots. A lot of good rushes today by, by Trey Flowers, last week by Trey Flowers. A lot of good rushes by the new guy, Adam Butler, in a role we hadn't seen him in as much, where they move him over the nose for sort of more of an athletic nose guy if it's going to be a high likelihood of a pass down instead of Allen Branch. I think that was a new little twist, and I think it's something they're going to really like. And Dietrich Wise, yeah, rookie from Arkansas. We hadn't seen much of him. He was kind of a little uh, trendy story for a week or so in training camp because he kept getting stuck in there with the ones, had some decent one-on-ones, but we hadn't really seen him do anything in live action. He got hurt so early in that first preseason game when he was out there. Uh, and he had a lot of good active runs or active, uh, active plays. His reps were... He was stressing his guy, and in three-man three rush situations, it's nice to have longer athletic dudes. Uh, you know, he's 6'5", six, 6', six, whatever he is. He looks more like a power forward than he does, you know, a regular, you know, like Flowers is more stocky and shorter. Um, I think they got something there, right? Again, it, 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 looking for bright spots here when you give up 42 points is, is a side topic that makes me look like, you know, we're not, not getting at the issue, but I think what we're trying to look at here is what do they got, what didn't work. And the things they got, I think there's some positive, big positives there with Adam Butler, with Dietrich Wise, uh, with Flowers, able to do so many different things for them. And Kyle Van Noy is a guy who I like uh, in a lot of, lot of things. And then some things less so, right? It, this was a, a little unique twist, and we'd seen this in practice in camp. Uh, in goal line periods, some of the red zone periods, they would flip Van Noy uh, over to the Mike linebacker position. Now, he is by trade, you know, if he played in, you know, with, let's see, let's find a team, Indianapolis. If he played for the Colts, he's a will. He's a, he's a smaller, athletic, lighter. No, he's not small, but he's lighter. He's a 240-ish kind of guy, uh, 230, somewhere in that range. But athletic as all hell can run, but better out in space, right? Out in the open area, not necessarily over the tight end, pressing them. That's the kind of thing you see guys like Ninkovich do or, or Hightower now. 
bigger, stronger, bullish kind of guys. That's not Van Noy's personality or his sort of body type, but he's much better, I think, out in space. Now, in, in these practices that I just talked about, he, he, he played some Mike linebacker down in the red zone, and I think the thinking there being, okay, he's a, he's a better coverage guy potentially, maybe than David Harris or, or a Landon Roberts. Maybe we can use his athleticism here as a match kind of thing at this new middle linebacker spot. He played it throughout that game. Um, don't love him in there. And, and uh, you know, the team will have to make a decision uh, of how they're going to do it. Uh, if he's one of two uh, at the inside linebacker position, back to the old-time stuff where you have a mic and an actual will. Oh, great, great, perfect, there you go. But like all that five-man line stuff that we talked about in the offseason, uh, you know, that's when they're five-man line, you only have one off the ball. And in my view, you, that one off the ball has to be a really excellent inside run-fit guy, a guy with a nose, a guy who can get on blocks in a hurry, and physical, and can make those plays. It's not that Van Noy's the worst ever. That he's fine, but I don't think it fits him, right? I mean, shoot, I can be very candid here about all the things that don't fit me perfectly, and that's something that every player has. Good player can do a lot of things for you. I prefer, uh, after watching it, either David Harris or Landon Roberts. If you're only going to have one off the ball and you need a guy that run fits a little better, uh, and, and the, I, I would opt for those guys. They went for the more athletic guy, had some nice plays, also had some that were a little bit regrettable. And I think one of the things we'll, they'll, they'll, they'll be looking at hard here, we'll all be watching for against the Saints, is do they, do they get out of the five-man line stuff? And not entirely, but does it become more of a, a sidecar, something they do at a 20% clip or 25% clip as opposed to a little higher level. Um, I think we talked about this a lot, that they were they were low on four-man line personnel. If Dietrich Wise is healthy, if Harvey Lange, uh, Lange excuse me, is healthy, what Harvey wasn't up for last week, I think you've got extra body types you need to be able to go back and do more four-man stuff. I think you've got extra body types to roll people through more in the five, you know, the two outside spots in the middle. With Longy down and not knowing what it is you had in Wise, I understand why they stuck in the five more. But I don't know if something was going on with David Harris. To me, it was a huge shock to see him play so little. I think his best role is controlling the middle, man. You know, running the calls, nothing, you know, fitting perfectly, getting there in a hurry just because of the savviness to where his gap needs to be. And, and maybe not making fucking 200 tackles, but being the guy that's always right, you know? And, again, people feel like to hammer, oh, what if a back motion's out and David Harris or Landon Roberts gets stuck covering a back? They'll get smoked even more than, than uh, you know, the, the other guys did with, with a guy like Lamar Hunt. Um, well, you know, so then you don't motion them out. You, you keep them in the box and you allow someone else. There's ways to adjust that so you don't get stuck in that spot. I think you put them in there, in my view, because they're the best at run game. And, uh, and if you get into a situation where it's third and 12, of course, then you can take them out. That's fine. It's a different, different world. But I think a big part of this, and it's something that happens every friggin' year, is you think something might work, and sometimes it doesn't. And you go back to the drawing board, and you find the best roles for your guys. So I was looking at Kyle Noy, and again, I think that originally how I brought him up, but I thought he was, uh, I thought he was really good in, in, in space stuff. I think he's a much better chase player than a point-of-attack player. That means basically if a run's going left, Maybe he's not your best guy to be pressing the tight end and setting the edge. That that means he's uh, you know a point of attack player. I think he's best when he's behind a play, chasing it down. You know, being the cutback player. You know, trying to out out athletic a guard. 
it's harder for some guys to to be the bull at the point of attack if that's not their body type. Good player. They just re-upped him for a contract, so he's obviously able to do a lot. They like him. They know what they're doing. But I'd be interested to see how his role changes or whatever throughout. I think they think they've got a versatile piece. He can hold up at middle linebacker. It's not like he can't do it. He didn't do a terrible job. But I think that was one of the spots where I said, hey, you know, man, this guy's a good player. But I think maybe there's a better spot for him, and we'll see how they how they react. Uh, one of the positives uh, of the game where, you know, there's there's so much negativity, and rightfully so, because I think the biggest the biggest bad issue in the game was run fits. And, that you know, we, we often gravitate conversations and losses to – pass rush sacks, all those things, or or coverage bus, right? But coverage fits, like just were people in the right spot during the damn play? You know, were people in the right spot uh, as far as their leverage on a route, as far as the handoffs in the, in the back end, as far as in and out, two guys on one, did they take it correctly? I mean, this is... This is stuff that's not great for potty for podcasts and radio. I get that. It's probably more visual where I could show you how it works. And when it breaks down, the adjustment is just in how you play the coverage, not in adding or subtracting people. So that's the teaching element. One of the things that I thought was really good in the game was when they had the coverage bust in the third quarter, the monster, you know, I, and, and I, I'll give you full disclosure here on this one. I've rewatched that play with uh, with, Steph, with Gilmore and, uh, and McCourty. Over and over and over again, the one thing you'll notice is McCourty is at five yards before the play. Snap of the ball, he's down at five. You are almost never, never the half player, half deep field, half safety, uh, over the top of potentially a vertical route on the outside that got the Gilmore's lined up on from that pre-snap depth. So that tells me that in McCourty, I don't think he's the half player. I don't think he's the over-the-top help on the outside to Gilmore. At least he didn't think he was. And that's where the miscommunication element comes into play. We don't know what the call was. We don't know if it's Gilmore's bust or if it's McCourty's. Uh, Gilmore clearly thinks he's got help. Gilmore's clearly turning the route over, letting the route build on top of him and opening to the inside to it and, and kind of letting it happen, which obviously means he thinks something else is going on. But with McCourty's really low-depth pre-snap, and the way McCourty opens actually to the inside with his back, you know, on the snap of the ball, it's, it's dropping to your landmarks, essentially. He turns and opens at the inside, and there's a sort of tight end post route, I think, that's happening near him. Or number two is running some sort of inside route. He kind of goes with that for a second. That makes more sense from that pre-snap depth that that would be what he thinks he's doing and was correctly doing. If maybe the two guys are just running two different calls. And that's a problem. So this is, again, this is the sloppiness of week one. These guys haven't played a ton of live reps with each other. It's just an absolute mental bust by someone we don't know. So, you know, you can't rightly point a finger. Uh, the best thing here is they were both, they both sort of said, whatever, we'll figure it out, look on tape, and I'll come back, and there was no finger pointing. That's good. So I, I highly doubt you'll see that again, but it isn't terribly surprising, you know, in week one with this many few live reps against especially guys that fast. That one of these things happened. So, and that really ended up being the story of the game. That coverage bust. Uh, the new guy, Cassius Marsh, a defensive end, comes in, rotates late because the rep count starts getting high. And uh, you know, I, I'll talk about that play here for just a little second. This is the second one, the, the play where Hunt gets out in the space, uh, just runs forever on, on, an, on an outside linebacker. Well, it's essentially a defensive end. He was listed as a DN in Seattle. The guy was sort of noted for his ability to pass rush. Michael Bennett kind of pumping him up uh, for the work he did in the offseason, that he's this guy can this guy can get after the passer. He's going to be one for us. They make the trade. This isn't a guy who's been living out in coverage in Seattle. And one of the things you'll notice on the play 
is you have a free player. So you have a back that's that releases offset to Marsh, the outside guy, but your Mike linebacker doesn't have a responsibility. The safety is down and has the tight end. So what's going on between the outside linebacker or the end, whatever you want to call him, Marsh and the middle linebacker, it's basically two-on-one. That's when we talk about a free player. There's no one else for the Mike to take. And with the wide release that the back takes, Marsh runs with him. And what also happens is... Van Noy at the Mike linebacker runs with him also. So you usually don't see that because if if it's going to outside release and the DN's going to take it, you'd almost rather have the Mike take it and, and keep the other guy free because Mike linebacker is, is meant to run a little bit more with a back than, than defensive ends. And then, like, obviously that, that played out because he ends up going for a monster play, one of the, you know, the backbreakers of the day, essentially. So, again, that's one of those plays where you look at it and say, Matt Patricia's smart. Bill Belichick's smart. It's a guy off the street who, you know, is new to this stuff. They probably don't adjust that way from here on out. If they get that wide route, they're not going to have their defensive ends chase it, especially against a guy like that that was gashing them in other places. You let the mic go with it. You, you play it differently with the safety. Maybe you have the DN hit, whatever. But you can't get in that situation, right? And they know that. But the point is that's the kind of bust you have when a guy that's fresh off the boat, you know, the free agency boat or trade in this example, but he's new. He's there. Uh, he's at, he's doing stuff he hasn't done a lot before, and something uh, a tragedy. You know, that's a bad word, but it, you know, a football tragedy anyway happens where you give up basically the length of the field in one play with something you would never normally do for a guy that's never normally doing that. Uh, so that sucks. <laughs> and you had two of these in the game. That's fourteen points. That's your game, right? Uh, and one of the things I think that would that that you're you're feeling good about the next morning is when this bonehead shit happens in the game, the Patriots did come back with a three and out after the bus series. So they actually responded pretty well. You know, you give up the big chunk play, three and out. That's good. So there is some toughness there. But I think when you see the, the fall away in the fourth quarter, it's less about toughness and partially conditioning, conditioning and mental toughness. And that was something we talked about. I talked about it on Nesson a little bit earlier this week. And it struck me that, we have all these conversations about preseason games and how much these guys should be out there. We need them fresh, and we need them to not get injured, so just don't do football. The game, the portion of the game that the Patriots were absolutely the worst at was late. And what happens uh, in games that you know they go into halftime with just the one touchdown uh, with, against the Chiefs? So at that time, you're feeling pretty good about what you've done defensively. Um, and what what so that's a half of football. What does it look like? You know, you go into halftime, defense is played pretty well, offense is played extreme low, so just pissed at themselves that they haven't put up more because of a couple deep late missed opportunities. But it could have been a, it's 17, which is a 34 point game if you do it twice. Uh, but you're feeling pretty good about yourself, more kicking yourself that you didn't get more. So, but what does that feel like? That feels like a preseason game, a, a half of series. Uh, a half, uh, you know, a few a handful of series to the defense, handful of series to the offense. Everyone's high fiving. We'll go back and you know correct a couple that we didn't do perfectly, and we know we'll get that better later. But but when it fell apart, it was later at the rep counts that none of these guys had seen, none of them, right? And and in fairness, the Chiefs had neither, so the Chiefs just obviously responded much better than that. But if you want to see your guys do better late, yes, there's a mild injury risk from giving them high rep numbers, but this is to be expected. They, they weren't as good in the part that they've not yet worked on. How do you respond when your rep count gets into the 50s, right? Uh, how do you respond after three quarters and some adjustments from the other side? 
hadn't gone through that. No one's gone through that. And everyone says, oh, joint practices, joint practices. It's scripted, guys. That's not the exact same thing. So uh, I'm not surprised by it. And But that, be, that being said, I think it also makes it uh, reasonably an outlier. It's something that you'll look at in October after they've done this four or five times and say, oh, okay, it's no longer a problem because now they're conditioned for that stuff. So, uh, hey, is this team going to be a team that plays great for three quarters and then lays for the last? Probably not because I think the things there's a reason some of the things are happening now that did. They always grow and get better, and they get better with experience. It's just that kind of defense. It's a sort of adjust and react kind of program here uh, and that, that self-scoffs the shit out of themselves. So look for more of that. I, I wasn't surprised for, with what happened. Now, uh, one of the things here that, that you know, should point out, too, uh, is Brady, I, you know, I talked about how he was sharp for most of the games, the breakdowns that were late and the breakdown with that first Allen pass. Those are sort of the more glaring ones. The, the beyond-the-line-of-scrimmage thing that cost them the touchdown, that, that to me was the sloppiness, the, the kind of thing you never see the guy do. And, he, and Tommy's smiling afterwards, you know, kind of just he knew he was ridiculously past the line. But, you know, James White's wide open. And, and that's not a, hey, they stopped you. That's a, hey, you stopped yourself. Pockets long, protection's good enough, able to move around, has a guy wide open and he's two yards past the line of scrimmage. So you leave it out there. But the reason I mention that is because when you're going back and trying to do something different, you know, watching your film, correcting yourself, it isn't about like a new play call. It isn't about shuffling the personnel. It's like that worked. You all didn't execute it. And that's generally how coaching staff talks to players like us. It's like when we call something different, no, we, we, we failed because we didn't execute. And, again, you have to sort of in your mind say, oh, is that a major problem or is that something that if Tom Brady's in the exact same situation next time, he'll learn from and not repeat. I mean, I, I think the odds are that that's the case. There's a long history of just as much. So the frustration is you saw week one sloppiness, and, and that sucks. And the Chiefs didn't show as much of it, at least in the second half when it was sort of nut-cutting time. So that, in part, is, I think, one of the biggest parts, really, of this game. Um, one of the things, also, that, that I thought was really important to, to put on was just the volume of yardage from three plays. And this is, what, this is what the Patriots do a lot, in my experience, when I was there. Because when you, have, when you look at a box score and you look at, oh, you gave up 500 yards of offense, and it's three, you can go back to three plays that were half of it, you know, like, literally that is, is almost where you're at here in this game. The Tyreek Hill is a, a three quarters of the length of the field bus play. The hunt, uh, out of the backfield pass where you're covering him with someone you'll never cover him with again. That was a three quarters of the field play. And then the other one was, uh, the bust on the edge in the fourth quarter with hunt around the corner where your edge setter is a safety and uh, let me look at, I don't remember who was the other defensive end at that side. Uh, Dietrich Edge, Dietrich Wise, excuse me. So Dietrich got a little nosy, set a poor edge. Chung is over the edge and down. You don't love to have safeties be the edge player. You'd much rather have a bigger body. Didn't give a great edge. Hunt runs forever. So, again, it's easy to say when you go back and have plays where you say, these three pay plays and we would have been right in it, it sounds kind of corny. Like, I get that, right? If, in the instance of those plays, it's stuff that could come up again, so you can't make an excuse for it. I think in this situation, you can pinpoint three things that say, well, then we'll just not do those three things. And it's reasonable to think that our problems aren't as big as it looks. You know, we're not going to bust and give up 80-yard passes. We're not going to have safeties and corners playing the wrong call. 
that happened from Nunes, that should reasonably go away. We're not going to have defensive ends cover backs anymore on go routes, <laughs> on seam routes. That That's going to go away. We're not going to have our small, strong safety as the edge defender against a big and very good offensive line in critical moments. Reasonably, that should go away. So those three things are saying, okay, those are fixable items. And cumulatively, there's like 200 yards of offense right there in those three plays. So when you're trying to sort of problem solve, you look at this and say, okay, we've, we sucked on paper, but these three things are very fixable just by minor adjustments. And that's usually what happens here, especially when you start talking about yards per carry. Uh, you know, there were, and again, this, they, 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 they're owed no excuses for run fits. I thought that was far and away the biggest issue the Patriots had. Uh, giving up too many first and eight, you know, first and eight are runs on first down, six yard runs on first down. The run fits were just not good enough. And, and one guy, uh, because I'm always so complimentary of him, because I'm such a big fan of his game, I, I do have to point out when he doesn't play well, I thought this wasn't Allen Branch's best game. And Allen's a monster, so dominant over the nose typically, really good as, as a guy who takes on doubles. He got knocked over a couple times, two of the bigger run plays that they had went in areas where you usually see Branch dominate that. You know, he gets such good push on guys, but they were knocking him from the side. He's getting good push on the guy in front of him, and then the second man in knocks him over. He rolls. I, I did an FBF video, uh, football by football video on our, our YouTube page, or excuse me, on the, on the Twitter page that, that showed one of those plays. Usually, Branch squats, takes that on. It's like concrete statue, and it's a pile, and then there's no, and then there's no, there's no run gap. But... That ended up being, a couple of those ended up being really bad things that they had. And I thought as they continued to go back to the well, they weren't good enough sort of tackle to tackle with inside interior run fit. So if, if you want to be in that film room with that team and kind of see what's going on behind the red curtain, it's much more, you know, they're getting yelled, you know, yelled at. They're getting scolded. They're getting corrected. It's much more on that stuff than pass rush better or, you know, this guy sucks, cut him stuff. It's more we have to play our technique better you usually don't play that way and again if I got a chip and I had to gamble on whether or not that was an outlier no I'm going to say nine times out of ten Alan Branch is dominating and he's one of the biggest pluses on your team but when your biggest plus doesn't have their best work giant holes right and I think there were a lot of that in this game and again you have to gamble here you're a fan of this team you don't you don't want to just be hopeful do they have the people that have a track record of doing it better than what we saw and I think the answer answer is yes so we'll see where it goes right um, so moving on here uh, to really sort of the, the last sort of final thoughts that I think they're going to be stewing about and they're going to be making adjustments for. There was far too much off coverage on low crossers. And this is actually something I brought up on Football by Football videos a year ago. They often try man-to-man -man on teams that use bunches where they put three little guys together on the outside and then you disperse them in sort of this like weird pattern that's meant to sort of pick off people or make it hard to defensive backs to get it. We do see the Patriots year over year have issues with this early and then adjust late and start to pick it up better. Why that is, I don't know. And it wouldn't be great if everyone hit the ground running at their Super Bowl level. Yeah, but it, it doesn't always happen that way. So there was a lot. I think it was probably one of the biggest coverage elements to dealing with and handling crossing routes. And understand that one of the things that happens when you opt for a five-man line, that makes the off-the-ball guy only one of them, really, a linebacker or a safety that's down. And usually when you have two off-the-ball guys, because you have a four-man line and nickel stuff, there's a second dude off the ball. So if you're running a crossing route, there's another body there. When you do the five-man line and say drop one of the two ends, there's nothing really over the ball. 
because, you know, especially if the middle linebacker is maybe on coverage on the back is taken away from the middle of the field with a route, there's nothing there. And they really went after that spot. So if you're run, you know, you're a defensive back, you're covering one of these crossing routes from the outside that comes to the middle, there's not that free player there. It's, it's the concession you made to do the five-man line thing. Now, there'll be the free player potentially if he makes it all the way across the ball, but there's holes and windows. And if you have a quarterback that, that knows how to find them, and, and Alex Smith tore him up on that, I think sort of the, the distance on crossers, the, the, the not very good team defensive element of chipping backs and hitting receivers so that they don't get sort of unfettered access to those windows, that was a real big story in the game. Much bigger than any of the stuff that I think got popular play. Um, one of the things, let's see, moving on here down the road. Um, final notes, poor overall stretch execution. And this is something that if I were to ask, if I were a fly on the wall or I'm still a player in that room, again, I bet you a dollar, bet you ten, whatever, that one of the things that's being hammered the most is situational failures, stretch execution. Uh, those two just gut-punch defensive series at the end of the game where they, the, their execution was so much different than they had been at other portions of the game. It, you, now, people will say, oh, they laid down or they didn't try or the effort was poor. I think the mental uh, concentration and, and being on top of it, it, it felt like folding because you just, you, know, you just weren't tough enough you just weren't tough enough, not, not toughness like physical toughness, but mentally tough to execute at the same level. Chiefs did, you didn't. So I think that's something they'll definitely be working on. Uh, you know, get those long, as long as they're allowed, uh, practices, maybe rep, rep the crap out of your top guys and, and throw stuff at them late in practice when they're a little bit tired. You know, hard weeks of practice make for better games, and that's Something that I hated as a player, but I appreciate it more. I appreciate it more in the backdrop. So, um, let's see. Here we go. One. Then this one. This one bugged me because you guys know how I feel about special teams. I mean, that was really my bread and butter in the league. I was a linebacker, uh, but a backup linebacker. So most of my in-game reps, you know, it's usually twenty-five to thirty plays in a game. It's special teams. I'm more in the ten to twenty play range for linebackers. So a backup role fill in for that. But teams is where it's at. So when I went back and watched this film, the three groups, uh, you know, I think the offense and defense are both getting their heat for different things. Special teams this week, coverage, really good, really good. Uh, some some standout plays. Jonathan Jones made a really nice play out in space, a really good tackling defensive back, so it was perfect for special teams. Made a great play at a crucial moment there in a coverage unit. Uh, Ryan Allen punted the shit out of the ball really well. Gaskowski kicked really well. Uh and there was other great coverage plays. A new dude from Detroit made a nice play. Uh, defensive back there, I'm blanking on his name, don't have it in front of me. But I think they've got some nice add-in elements there. The one thing that has sucked for the Patriots, uh, or been below their standard, I don't have to go over the top, but there hasn't been a kick return game. And you can look at, there hasn't been a kick return game, and you need one of those in critical situations, especially if the offense starts to struggle. Danny gets hurt, they have a, a three and out, they have a bad series. Kansas City goes down and scores late. And what happened? A kick return out to like the 13-yard line in the fourth quarter at a critical moment. So those are the that I'd say the kick return. And it's not hey, need a better returner. Got blocked better. And I think one of the things that that if you look at the four units in the special, Patriots special teams overall is one of the better, maybe a top ten, top five. I don't know how you're ranking it, but they're they're consistently towards the top of the NFL. Where I don't, where I think they miss is return game. And as far as Punt return has been better, has been solid in recent years. Kick return has been largely non-existent, and you can all people look to the returner, 
but I, I don't see enough, hey, this was all blocked up, why didn't the returner get more? When the returner's got guys in his face at the 10-yard line, that's not good. You have no chance, right? You can maybe make the first guy miss, but it makes you make a lateral cut, all the pursuit gets there. So the area that really needs work there, and it's not excusable because they needed you, uh, is the kick return game. You know, f- critical situation, fourth quarter, got to have it, and you need to, you need a jolt. Bring it back to midfield, you know? They brought it to the 13, and, and Deion Lewis is a returner. I can't put it all on him because I see way too many guys down in his face to really make a productive play. So that's something that's got to get better as well. Giving up sacks on the final drive, you know, the protection was really good throughout the game uh, and really bad for a couple series at the end of the game, right? So I think that's something where you – it probably is conditioning. It probably is sort of mental toughness that comes with with experience of doing it. And and all the guys, from the top vet, the guys that are really good to to down at the bottom, you know, you, you get better as you go along. And I, I, that that was something that wasn't good enough. Giving up sacks, and I think that probably was the thing that was lingering in Tommy's mind when Brady's given sort of his post game quotes about uh, the the urgency and the, the down. You know, he's alluding to what was happening there in those last couple of series. That's the stuff that sticked down his head. When you're looking at the meme stuff where he's he's scowling, it's because that fourth quarter execution was so much different than what they did at other points in the game. So that sticks with you. Um, the D can't get third and one. And I think that's really important when you go back to the defense in some of those critical situations down the end of the game. Situationally, the Patriots lost a couple times, two fourth and ones and a third one, uh, where you expect them to be able to get that. The defense had those same opportunities conversely, and with their big packages, they didn't get the stop. So it's a situational football again, and I'm fairly certain that uh, that, that Coach Belichick will be hammering on, and rightfully so. Um, Clocks ran the clock. The Chiefs ran the clock out in the end. Again, you know, as someone who covers this team, you don't see that very often. And why were they able to do it? Because of situational fails in those last two series. Even though it didn't feel good, there were a couple bad plays that led to big stuff. You still nut up, and the whole bend but don't break stuff, and you're able to get off. The Chiefs did not kick a field goal in this game. Probably one of the stats that I think sticks out to the defensive staff and Coach Belichick the most. My um, guess, anyway, that. When you don't see field goal attempts, that means one of two things. They're, they're bypassing the red zone with huge plays, which we know happened on several occasions. And also they're getting in and passing straight through, which means you're not winning in red zone situations. You're not getting stopped. So those will be the things they concentrate on. I'm a firm believer in the personnel that they have to do infinitely better than they do, and that's not bias, that's not that's that's more gambler's thing, you know, like an experience. I'm looking at, okay, if I saw, you know, this player's not good enough. You know, this guy, they need an upgrade at this spot. Uh, oh, they can't run this because these two th- people just are, are below standard. They're below the guy they're going to be covering, the go below the guy they're going to be rushing against. You know, is Malcolm Brown not a good enough? Is, is Vincent Valentine, it wasn't a big part of it, not good enough? Is, is uh, Lawrence Guy not good enough? No, they're, they're really good. And Lawrence didn't have a huge role in this game, but the play, he had a, a lot of nice plays. And I, I'm, I'm interested to see if he gets a bigger role because, he, uh, to me, he earned it. He's, he's somebody who can, who's pretty spot on with everything he does. So, you know, again, it's, it's reconfiguring yourself. It's going back and saying, we sucked at this. Does that mean we need to get better at this or we need to run something different? They're going through it now. The playbook is huge. The approach is diverse. I think there's a lot of flexibility and ways to go at this a different way. So that is your sort of Chiefs-Patriots review, where I think the issues are. Um, Offensively, uh, one of the things I I would point to that as you sort of go forward here, uh, what do we expect them to do differently? What do we expect 
them to do that that they have in their arsenal to do. You know, because of the injury potentially to Danny Amendola, because of the injury, or at least limitation of Dante Hightower with a knee and a brace, but you know, for an MCL potentially. Um, how do you fix yourself based upon the problems you have, but now maybe potentially the availability of players? Harvey Longy is going to be a big deal. And I know that's like, oh gosh, you're banking on uh, an undrafted free agent to, to fix everything? No, I think you need a warm body that can edge set. He doesn't have to do everything that Dante Hightower can, but he's strong, aggressive, can edge set there. If, if Dante's not available, having a physical guy that can do that. Now, Marsh could do that. I, I think if you give him now a second week of practice, Pounded in his head. This is what you got to do. It's not all pass rush here. It's edge setting. Don't worry about the coverage. I'm not going to make you be a coverage player. Can that guy do it? Looks like it, but I don't know that. I, I think it would be a big boon for them to get Longy back, even though he doesn't. Have, he's never played a professional game. So maybe I'm banking on something that's that's unproven. But I, I liked him a lot in preseason to be able to fill that portion of the role that was a little bit missing last week, and especially if Dante Hightower uh, isn't full go. He gave up a couple edges himself in the game. Again, I saw it was him not being at his sharpest play, and that was really something that was, I think, consistent for everyone. Um, going forward on offense, uh, you lose Danny Amendola. Danny had a huge game at the point that he went down, and I, I think that what you see now is you see Brandon Cooks more in a deep comeback role, uh, and they failed on that, and that was one of the one of the possessions they didn't get where they'd gotten it in a third and ten. Brandon's so damn dangerous, he'd won deep several times, gotten either penalties or made the catch. And he runs it to 11 yards, comes back to nine. DBs are on top of him, can't get tight on that coverage because you have to respect that speed. And him and Tommy connect, don't connect. I would, I would hope uh, that that becomes the bread and butter of this entire offense. The, 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 the comebacks, the snags, the quick slants, the catch-and-run plays with Brandon Cooks and moving him around to, to create those opportunities. The running him to first down depth and breaking him away. The thing that's not necessarily been his game. I mean, it's vertical stuff, but he's maybe a notch below Julian Edelman in that stuff. And we know Edelman's not available, so you know I'll try not to keep mentioning him. But that's the part where if you want Tom and you want this offense to stay on track and just find a new way to do it, I think that's the thing that has to become the new bread and butter. And they missed on it a couple times last week. So if you want, you know, Brady and somebody doing routes after the game or after practice, talking, putting their heads together, trying to trying to sort of find something that will really help them, I think that's it. Brandon Cooks working the shit out of the sticks and taking advantage of the little grace that he gets from defensive backs. That's that's your new thing. That's your oh, that's that's what we haven't seen as much of. Got to get Chris Hogan on track. Chris Hogan was tremendous in the preseason, tremendous in workouts, tremendous in practice, and they covered him up really well. The Chiefs did. Hats off to them. I think you've got to find ways to get him involved. He's a really good wide receiver. Maybe it's the routes that you give him. Maybe it's the way you use him versus the coverage you see. But there's got to be more there. I know there's more there. Look for that to improve and change. And it's finding your other catch-and-run guy. And that may now mean Burkhead out of the backfield, Burkhead motioning out, Burkhead acting more as a receiver. Um, a lot of two tight end sets, I expect that as well, uh, because and when you're in two tight end sets, you by and large only have two wide receivers, which is probably better for this group. So Gronk becomes a wide receiver, right? Gronk becomes your slot receiver, essentially, in a lot of sets. So that you're not as stressed, the fact that we don't have an established third. So you can roll through who is the third with your tight end, with your one of your many backs, 
and at rarest occasions with Philip Dorsett until you feel like he's ready to contribute in some way, somehow, other than just go rounds. So it's a bridge. There's going to be a few weeks here where there may be bumps to get to that point, but I certainly think they have the personnel, barring any you know additional injuries. We're really you're really in an issue now if say in game Pogan gets banged up or in game Hooks you know knocking on wood here as I'm saying this gets banged up. That changes things. But as things sit now, and this is a team that didn't have that two that, you know that had Brady go past the line and and not score on, a, on an obvious touchdown there miss on fourth and one in a play that had to be done over after what looked like a touchdown. So you end up losing eleven points there. That's 38 points, and it's not like, you know, wild that that they would have gotten those. It's pretty easy to get a fourth and one generally, and it's pretty easy to complete a wide-open pass with the greatest quarterback that ever played. Uh, So it's the problem. You're not that far is the point. You're not that far off, uh, and it's, you know, it's something that's very fixable. So we'll look for all those going forward on defense. Tune up those those crossing routes. Tune up on how you play low coverages. Tune up on communication. Just do a good week of work and improve on your run fits up front. Maybe that means better configurations with, with the personnel that you have. Uh, maybe it's getting in some guys' ass who didn't play up to their level. But, you know, veterans put pressure on themselves. So I, 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 I anticipate that you got a really good three-man deal there with Branch and with Brown and with Guy. Those are three good players. Uh Tuning things up back with them, I don't think that going forward run stops necessarily are going to be a big thing. And, and using your best rundown linebackers, which to me, somehow, some way, Landon Roberts and, and, and uh, David Harris need to have roles again and increase them. You need those. People are running on you. Got to do it. All right. Now we're going to dive into a little talk with Deuce McCowser, as promised. And as promised, we are joined by former New Orleans Saints uh, star running back, Deuce McAllister, former first-round pick, a Super Bowl champion, and now he's the color man for the Saints radio broadcast. Gets to see that team down close up on the ground, knows him well. Deuce, how you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. Doing good, man. How you doing? Loving life. And uh, I think you're dealing with maybe a little bit on your side in your market, what we're dealing with in ours, sort of an angry fan base or one that's sort of scratching their head about what happened a week ago. And you, unfortunately, have a short week. We have an unusually long one, so we get to sort of fester in it more. But uh, right off the bat, sort of just big picture view of kind of what people are feeling about what came out of that Minnesota game for you guys. Well, I think uh, with this fan base that we're dealing with, I think you you hit the uh, nail on the head. I mean, you, you're dealing with a frustrated bunch, and and we didn't even have the pleasure of playing at home, but you know, just talking to them, interacting with them on the radio and and via social media, they are not too pleased. And so, you know, the one the one big key, uh, and 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 it was kind of a wait and see approach, and. The first game, there were not good results, uh, and that was the defense. You know, they wanted to know how improved was the defense. Uh, played really outstanding during the preseason, but obviously that doesn't mean anything. And so uh, the first first game, the returns were not very good. So it be interesting to see how long this fan base stays, uh, particularly knowing that you have your home opener coming up and you have the defending Super Bowl champion coming into the building. You know, I don't think that they're going to be too patient with us. Yeah, and understandably so. I think uh, we deal with maybe the flip side of that coin where, you know, we had the goofy 19-0 and talk and all that nonsense throughout the offseason. And when they sort of drop a stinker on week one against a team that 
they've beaten in the playoffs recently. And I think people here thought they were a notch ahead. That sends off all the alarms. And I think both of these teams, are, or at least organizations, aren't used to going 0-2 ever you know so that would be a huge notch for either one of these two so uh and i think that makes it for a really interesting dynamic uh, i should tell you this kind of off the top i don't know if it, it, the perspective is the same down there as up here but because of all the deflate gate stuff and the stuff that that you guys went through with the, the bounty gate stuff i think there's a lot of patriots fans that kind of look at new orleans as sort of a kindred spirit sort of a you know what we know kind of thing we've all been through the, the tough stuff with the league together so and having had the joint practices with those guys a year ago and you know then and i think in part the joint practice is what helped sort of them have an eyeball for uh, for brandon cooks and i think why in part why they traded for him and the relationship between between sean and bill but the the saints are often one of those teams around here that get mentioned as people kind of cheer for them because they know that you guys went through a lot of the bs of the league as well so real more question here that you know as you start to dive into things i know if you're doing the games you're 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 heavy on storylines, much like we are up here trying to figure out what's the big big items of the week with the team. Uh, back, you know, back stuff, and which is great with you because you were former uh, running back for that organization for such a long time. The AP stuff gets headlines. Uh, the new guy from Tennessee seems to kind of have something to him and could be sort of a, a multi-dimensional kind of dude. And of course, I'm talking about uh, uh, Kamara, the album Kamara. Uh, I'm just kind of curious on your point of view as a former back and getting to see sort of three different types there uh, with with Mark Ingram obviously still being a part of that group. Based upon what their run scheme preferences are, based upon what the new configuration is for their offensive line, and based upon who those three backs are, how do you kind of see that all playing out over the course of a long season? Well, I, I think the, the biggest thing with those running backs, um, they have to have some patience and they have to have no ego. Uh, I think that's one of the most important things when you play for a Sean Payton team. You know, uh, normally, and and I saw where a Coach, uh, even Coach Belichick made a comment, a statement by the four running backs that you guys use, you know, a lot of time a running back wants to get in rhythm. Well, as Coach Billiset says, if you're worried about getting in rhythm, they're worried about scoring points, you know, and that's the <laughs> philosophy that you really have to have because, you know, yes, it's good to get touches, but at the same time, that offensive coach has a scheme, has a plan in place that he wants to use, and that's, that's really how Sean runs his offense. He's always used three backs, you know. It, it, it's never been to the caliber of kind of what you have now and, and having Adrian Peterson uh, a first ballot Hall of Fame. And so when you throw in the rookie Alvin Kamara and then you throw in Mark Ingram, the question becomes where will the touches come from, you know. How can you keep all of those guys happy? And the one thing that I know that you have to do is you have to win on first down. I mean, if you're not getting at least four-plus yards on first down, then it's hard to sustain drives. And I think that they started off doing that well this past week, but, you know, they kind of faltered there as the game wore on. And so when you look at that dynamic, uh, they've got to win on first down. I mean, and and even by doing that, some guy is probably still not going to be happy. I mean, because um, Sean is going to always use different personnel. He's going to use different packages, and each guy kind of has a package. And if he's not calling his package, then it you know you don't you don't get the touches that you you feel like that you need or you won't. One of the things that sort of struck me is is different with that 
running game or sort of untested uh, and, you know, trying to figure out, hey, how, what's most dangerous about New Orleans? What can they do? And we obviously know the trigger man is is a stud. You mentioned AP just from credentials, what he's already done in his career. One of the things that jumps off the line to me, and maybe this is just as the point of view of a linebacker, but I I, I looked at that offensive line and it's freaking huge. You know, really, Andrus Pete, who came in the league as a left tackle, and maybe you can help us a little with his story. I know he was at a left tackle point and played right guard, left guard now. It looks like he settled there, but they're really big with Ramchek, uh, the, the first rounder from Wisconsin at left, uh, big at right, almost 6'8", was Zach Streif, but Zach's injured, is that correct? He's yeah, Zach's going to be out. He's got a uh, MCL, so he's going to be out for a couple weeks. Uh, but you you are correct. They do have a, a, a really big offensive line, but the problem is they're banged up in offensive line, and so right. they've been shuffling uh, shuffling a lot of guys. They they drafted Ryan Ramchick, and this was really going to be a redshirt year for him to kind of mm-hmm. learn the, the and be the swing tackle, but you ended up losing uh, Teron Armstead in your final minicamp on uh, the next to the last day of mm-hmm. minicamp. I mean, just a freak accident, and he should be back in a couple weeks, but now you've you've been shuffling your offensive line, and so uh, Pete has settled in at left guard. Um, this was really uh, Max Unger's first game back. Uh, he only played uh, uh, two series, I think, in the preseason. He was dealing with a foot injury, so they haven't really jailed just because they've been shuffling so much, but I, I, I can say the one thing that I think that they wanted to try to do was to be able to run the football, and you know, obviously that's why you signed the uh, Adrian Peterson. But right. that unit just hadn't been able to get enough time together to say, "Hey, look, this is what we want to do." And I think they leaned on Drew uh, and and some young receivers. Um, and 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 we know, you know, you lose Cooks, you you lose Willie Sneed for the first three games. Yeah. Now you're only talking about uh, one pass catcher that's back from last year. You know, that had over ten catches. Right. Very similar to this situation here. The Patriots are, you know, Brandon Cooks is the new new toy. He's incredibly uh, talented. They're, people are excited about what he's going to do. But with Edelman going down and Amendola getting banged up in game, they start looking around and saying, wow, who's the guy who's caught balls for us? It's Chris Hogan. Uh, and then they have all the backs. So I think two organizations are kind of going into this week kind of trying to game plan and figure out where else they're going to find it. Um, one of the things I found kind of interesting here is is looking at that receiver group. And Michael Thomas, I think we kind of have presume, is sort of the, the new big-time guy. Like, he's he was a talent. I love that. I mean, I do fantasy football for another show and, and really actually use him quite a bit. I think he's a stud. But he had sort of a mild week one game. Um, as you're looking at this, you know, and, and understanding it's the Patriots on the other side who had a really bad week against the run with the Chiefs, what would your offensive approach be? They they seem to – they gave up a lot on first down, the sort of thing you just mentioned, not getting those first down runs, and they gave up a considerable amount of yards to who the Chiefs' number one guy was, albeit in busted plays. So what do you think the, the, the Saints' best approach would be against what, what, what you've seen on film from New England? Well – for the Saints, they have got to be more productive in the red zone. I mean, it's it, it's hard to get in the red zone five times and only score a touchdown once. So, you know, they kind of hurt themselves a few times, once with a penalty, and then the other uh, three times they just faltered. I mean, whether it was just miscommunication by the receiver or missing a, a block here or there by the tight end and the tackle, you know, they have to be more productive in the red zone. Um, you know, just one, 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 for, one for five won't cut it. 
Uh, I think that they will do a good job of uh, getting guys in one-on-one situations. Uh, one of the things that, uh, like you talked about, I think that will uh, New England will do a better job just because you guys had so many new pieces, and then when you lose Hightower, uh, that just adds to it even more. You know, I think the thing that Sean Sean is going to try to do um, is he's going to try to find a mismatch. I mean, and whether it's on the number two corner or whether it's on the number three corner, you know, he's going to try to find a mismatch with a guy that, you know, he feels like that has to have a a, a win. And, you know, that could be Alvin Kamara, that could be Tommy Lee Lewis, that could be even Kobe Fleener. So, I mean, that's how he's going to try to exploit it and use, you know, his offense. This is off topic just a second, but I thought jumping out of football for just a minute, and I'm just curious with a lot of those guys uh, on the team that, you know, are from that area that got hit by hurricanes. I'm not saying they necessarily hit Louisiana as hard as some of the stuff to the west of you, but any issues with guys in, in sort of homes in the Texas area or, or weather issues that you guys had down there? Has, it, has that affected that area as much the last couple of weeks? Nah, we've been fine. I mean, I know AP was probably the, uh, he and um, Robertson, Craig Robertson, uh, were the two that have the most Houston connections. And, you know, their family is dealing with uh, maybe their houses got some flooding, but no no loss of life in, in our area. I mean, it's 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 been nothing. Okay, that's good. Uh, so I'm flipping to the other side of the ball here, just sort of working through kind of what we said. There's some certain vulnerabilities that the Patriots want to figure out with themselves in week two defensively, defensively with the Saints. So, it, you know, Cameron Jordan's a player that jumps out to me. He saw some nice rushes he had a week ago. Uh, but, yeah, obviously full unit production was a little bit of a mess. Adam Thielen had a really big game last week. Bradford seemed to really find that as a connection that's consistent. I guess if I'm guessing from the other side what they try to – come back at with the Saints it's their guy that can then sort of work those seams much like we saw Thielen I think that's probably Chris Hogan for the Patriots what in your view is sort of the best best practices best approach for them how they fix themselves in a week to go against an offense with the Patriots that can be very explosive well they better figure out a bunch they better figure out a bunch formation and, and figure out how they want to cover that bunch formation you know it was just a lack of communication and I understand that you know sometimes you're going to have it particularly when you're starting three rookies on defense and, you know, you're on the road, uh, you, you have to be able to talk. And, you know, I thought Minnesota made some really, really nice adjustments. One of the things that I felt like that hurt the Saints as well was probably their their, their second best player, Kenny Vaccaro, didn't have uh, the game that he needed to have. And so I, I look for him to have to bounce back. I mean, because if he doesn't bounce back, then that secondary can't be special. He's a guy that they can use as a big nickel. He can cover the slot. He can cover the tight end. But, I mean, he just did not have a really good game. And, you know, the other corners, they have to talk. I mean, they, they, they have to communicate and figure out how they want to play some of those routes. Uh, you know, the rub routes hurt them. They, they, they were not able to get their hands on some of those receivers, and, you know, they paid for it dearly. One guy that jumps out to me, and this is just sort of more of a a guy like that I've sort of been aware of in the league, but I, I saw him kind of – I've seen less of him recently. And I, I'm curious as sort of what's going on with Kikaha. I don't. I just don't know the story, and this is sort of my bad for not Googling it before I looked up. But uh, you're fine. We, saw, we saw him two weeks you – know, two years ago, and he was a nice young player, got injured, and now I don't see him sort of up with the first. What, what's going on sort of with him, is he, or is he still a part of the rotation? 
he's still part of the rotation. He is coming off of his third ACL surgery. Yeah. And so that's where they want to make sure that he can uh, last for the whole season. And this was really his first game. I mean, he's he's obviously performed in the preseason, but, you know, this is his first game uh, back in almost, I guess, a year and a half, two years. And so – for him, you hope that he continues to get better. Um, and and another thing that I felt uh, I, I felt like that they leaned they didn't lean enough on, on on some of the other young guys that they have, and whether that's uh, uh, Al Muhammad or Trey Hendrickson or uh, Mitchell Lavin. Those are some young guys that had a lot of success during the preseason, but really didn't get an opportunity to, to run with the base or sub defense. And, you know, whether they played the, the, the starters a little bit too long, I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, those young guys have to step up and make a play or two. And, you know, Kakaha fit, fits into that role as well. Awesome. Yeah, he was he was a, an interesting guy. Strong, not the biggest dude, but, you know, great leverage hands. Right, counter yep. dude. Yeah, loved it. And you see a guy get banged up like that, that sucks. So hopefully he can, he can bounce back. Uh, obviously, we're doing a Patriots show here. So some of the interest is in guys they know. Uh, Michael Hooman, I can't ever say his name. I'd even have to cover him. I wasn't able to get it yep, over the years. Yep, yep, but he's, yep. he's still out there, a big part of it. Sterling Moore is on the roster. And one name that we really wanted to kind of get a little little local insight on is Austin Carr. I mean, he was a he was a huge camp story for us as we're doing the preseason games and you know, blowing up sort of preseason game one, having another one in big big week in four, but you know, there's not really any guys that are gonna be on the roster playing at that point. They claim him off waivers. You sort of alluded to the fact that there weren't a lot of established receivers in that first week. Thomas doesn't have a big week, Sneed's down. Do you see him potentially? Has he been getting practice work? Is he going to be someone who gets integrated in this or is he still a fringe player then? Well, right now I think that he is probably going to get integrated into the system. I mean, because they've got to get some more production out of those receivers. And not to say that they didn't have some opportunities. There were some opportunities, and, you know, they just got to win. I think that what Sean wanted to make sure that he was comfortable with with Austin, I think that he's a guy that would work really, really well in this offense, particularly in the slot and some of the things that they ask their slot guys uh, to do. So, I look for his role to continue to grow, you know, and he is going to be an interesting player uh, for this organization. And I know that they are really high on him. That's awesome. Well, hey, great insight, Deuce. Uh, have a great week this week. Uh, keep kicking ass. I love love when I get to hear your voice. You're a really insightful, dude. And I thought it was great to have a running back on the game or on the on the call here who knows that situation tight. Because when you start, re- you know, you start looking back at your team, that's what what people are interested in in that running game. And are they going to get gashed the way the Chiefs gashed them a week ago? So great material, man. And and take care. Thanks for coming on. All right, no problem. Thanks for having me on. You have a good one as well. See you, buddy. Awesome stuff there by Deuce. So happy we had him on. Uh, and again, it's it's really something we're going to try to do throughout this year. Find guys that have great insight on the team that the Patriots are facing. And I love it when you get a guy like that that both was a, a really high-end player for the team, but then also works in that market now, much like I do up here. So you kind of get to see both sides of it. You can be critical. Uh, he can be real, and he can sort of break down what you guys look like in the mirror <laughs> or on the other side of the window, excuse me. So, you know, looking back at the Patriots and saying, hey, man, that's here's how we see you. And we'll get to sort of do the dual view thing throughout the year, I hope, uh, in, week in, week out. Uh, Deuce is actually a guy that, and a really interesting guy, a really bright guy, that I actually didn't first meet until we were done playing. Um, uh, you know, you, I think a lot of the people out here know that I went to, 
to Babson College uh, to get my MBA in entrepreneurship uh, up there in Wellesley College. And Babson had been doing uh, these sort of post-career player uh, little seminars. And uh, we had a lot of uh, NFL guys come on the campus up there in Wellesley. And I got a chance to come up and speak and uh, met Deuce and, and several of the guys and a lot of the guys actually in the room that that became contributors football by football in that first year where we were exclusively writing columns. So uh, got to know Deuce a little bit, and uh, he's recently gotten that gig where he, he's doing sort of the radio broadcasts and all the media stuff covering the team. He's been really sharp, really good at it. Love to see good, good, insightful guys get jobs like that and, and, and sort of knock it out of the park. So uh, good to have Deuce on. Uh, I thought he brought up a lot of great, uh, great insightful sort of nuggets. Uh, the the unsettled situation with our offensive line is something I saw on tape myself as far as, you know, big dominant personalities, but holes, right? So uh, I, I brought up Anders Pete. Uh, he was first round pick from Stanford, big six, seven guy long was prototype. That's why he went a first rounder to play left, but he's had to bounce around. He's dominant at times, misses plays at times. And I think kind of a, what Deuce had talked about, you're going to see a lot of that up down inconsistencies, uh, could be a really good unit across the, the board eventually, but with the, the injury to Streif, uh, Pete now looking like he's settled at center, or excuse me, at left guard, the center Unger just now coming back, having to figure out something at left, or the rookie who wasn't intended to start there from day one, but is, uh, who's a solid guy, Ramchek's a, you know, but more of a bull, like, kind of like you think, not the dancing bears that you often get in the, and maybe, you know, other, other conferences, but these Wisconsin offensive linemen that really sort of manhandle. But, you know, we saw him give up a spin move and, and a couple other counters for pressures, not straight sacks, in the Minnesota game. So I bet Trey Flowers is watching that. I bet uh, Dietrich Wise is watching that and started to formulate a plan against Ramchek and, and how they're going to approach the guy. And he actually had, had a lower body injury. I don't know if it was a foot or a knee or something like that through camp. So he's kind of just getting his feet under him and, you know, thrust out there left tackle day one. So that's an area that I think the Patriots will scheme at. Maybe a guy hasn't seen a lot of games. We saw the two-man games with, with Wise, uh, no, excuse me, it was Adam Butler and uh, Flowers. You get home for a really nice win. It was a, it was a, it was a clip that I showed on Football by Football on our Twitter, on our Twitter page, uh, yeah, the Twitter thing. Uh, but the two-man game, it's called a slow me, where the inside guy just busts up the field. Nice get-off dip and get in that B gap between the guard and tackle and the end takes it up the field and then peels back under to try to hold the tackles block for a second so we can't roll back on the on the penetrator and then fold in and it worked Butler was great with it uh and and Flowers ends up getting the sack his penetration essentially takes two though so Flowers is free um that's a left side game uh against the Chiefs maybe it becomes a right side game you want to see the gaming over the young tackle. You want to show him not just straight rushes every time. So look for a little of that in the game. Uh, one of the things that, that I, I I want to give the, the Saints a lot of credit for, but I don't know, we don't know how it's going to shake out. I think the, both these teams kind of have the same advantage with one another. It's the uncertainty angle. The, the Chiefs struggled offensively. And, you know, Austin Carr would be a cool story around here if you could see him more and, and see how he gets used. Uh, maybe a little more tight end reliance uh, if they – consider that a vulnerability against Patriots. I don't know. Patrick Chung's really good in that role of shutting that spot down. How and where they're going to find it, I imagine much like we're talking about with the Patriots, they're going to have to find some new plays, you know, do some stuff within the framework of their offense 
that generate something. And because of the vulnerabilities the Patriots showed in run fits, maybe they tune them up in a week, maybe they don't. Uh, but maybe that's something where Sean Payton says, okay, we need to scheme at this until we've seen them uh, fix it or address what, what hurt them against the Chiefs. So it's going to be a cool little chess match, and it's, it's, it's certainly a Patriots advantage that they get the longer look at themselves. And the Saints, um, the Saints have a short week. Fortunately for them, they get to stay home. But this should be a cool little chess match. Uh, I, I alluded to it or talked about it at length earlier. Uh, the, the idea that I think Rex Burkhead has a bigger role, I think James White has a bigger role as far as touches. I think Mike Gillisley, maybe this week, uh, oh man, this is hot takey, so I'm going to put myself out there with predictions, which I don't love to do. But I think this might not be a 20-carry game with Gillisley. I look at this more as a, let's take advantage of space. This might be a Brady 45-pass kind of game uh, because I think there's some linebacker vulnerability there, and the matchups are just really too favorable to not hammer away with Lewis, with with Burkhead, with White in space against these this this group of linebackers. And, you know, so you know the names here. It's Alex Okafor. Actually, it's and excuse me. A.J. Klein, undrafted guy that came in from, from Carolina. Uh, not undrafted, excuse me. He's an unrestricted free agent. New dude. Uh, Craig Robertson, same thing. New dude from Cleveland. Alex Anzalone. Uh, well, anyway, he's the will. So, a young guy, third-round pick from this year. But the point is, uh, Deuce talked about this. The, the young guys on defense, and some of these are at the linebacker. One's at the linebacker spot, and the others are two new guys. Who, as I was watching that Vikings game, kept thinking, man, uh, they're finding other ways to get at them, and their offense isn't really built to work these guys over. But that kind of happens a lot when you tape study. You go and say, okay, wait a minute. And Minnesota's not able to take advantage of this, and they're overcompensating here. But I think this is actually where the Patriots will go back at them. Uh, a couple of these, two of these three linebackers look like the kind of guy that you'll just, you know, pants in, in open space. Not, you know, just like I would be, quite frankly. <laughs> that, that these are... I think they've got an athletic ma- uh, advantage at the back spot, back and linebacker spot there. So uh, much like, quite frankly, what you saw the Chiefs do to the Patriots in that one match with, with Marsh down the field. So uh, if they can scheme it in, I think that's where you'll see some action. But huge week for the Patriots, a huge week for the Saints, uh, both as, as Deuce and I were sort of talking about there. Uh, it's going to be the sky is falling undoubtedly for one of the two one of these two organizations if they don't come away with a victory. So I personally, from sort of the player former player perspective, I think this is good for the Patriots to go on the road and do this. You know, there's not going to be the groans from the crowd, sort of the murmurs in the event of a bad series or two, in the event that the Patriots trail at one point in this game or something. That's something you kind of you know, deal with at home when the expectations are so sky high and you're you know the best team in the NFL for going on two decades here. So, and you felt that a little bit, the Chiefs game. It's like, oh, they're not, they're not leading? They always lead, you know? And, and sometimes when you're working through things, I think it's easier to actually go deal with it at a place where the expectations are all directed at their home team and not you. So if there's a couple bad series, if there's a rough patch, I think it's easier to, to sort of go in the tunnel, go in a dark place on the road. And, uh, you know, New Orleans can be a very difficult place to play. Superdome gets crazy. But, uh I, I like the road trip idea. I like the idea of bonding, figuring your work out uh, on your own. So they get the opportunity to do that. I mean, I, I'm not going to be a big prediction guy throughout the year, but we will throw this out here, just my feeling, my sense. Uh, I believe on, on Patriots This Week, our show with Craft Sports Director, me and, Z- and Scott Zolak and Bob Soshi, I believe I went like 31 to 24, somewhere in that range. 
I think this is the kind of defense the Patriots will really, really peck at, will really be able to tear up. Uh, and I think that forces them, unfortunately, in the kind of spread it out game where you'll see a bigger number than you like from the Saints offense. The Saints offense is good. So uh, I'm ex- anticipating a slightly higher scoring game uh, than, than defensively you would like. As a defensive player, I'd much rather see everyone be, be sub-20. But I think they pull them into the style uh, because of the, the, the success I anticipate the Patriots will have offensively. Big game from Brandon Cooks. Move him around more. Don't see him at the X's often. More Z stuff. Uh, not standing in the same place in the formation. More movement stuff in the run game. You know, Not aligning the formation and hitting your head against the wall, but motions, shifts, uh, Tommy moving people. Uh, I think that's, that's the progression you see this week, and it works much better. So, again... Thank you for coming on and listening to the real Patriots. Excuse me, the real thing. I gotta, I gotta get the name of the show head my, or the, get the name of the show right in my head, or I can't uh, pass the info on to you guys. It's the real thing. Our new Patriots podcast. Thank you for checking in. Share the show. Uh, you know, spread the good word for us. We we love doing this. Love spending the time. And uh, I think the most important thing for this show is, and I know it can be a little bit frustrating as a as a listener and a viewer. Ideally, we're with you the morning after games, giving knee-jerk reactions, giving you know the emotional takes. But I don't think that stuff is as valuable because you don't get a chance to really fact-check and find out. I could definitely give you hot takes the morning after, and I'll probably be wrong like everyone else. I think the midweek show is much better because you get a higher quality of information. So if you can hang with us, you can wait. We'll be there for you to review the tape and talk about what really happened and review what's coming next and where the real vulnerabilities are. Again, the real thing. Thanks for checking in. Talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.